everyone. My name is Michelle and welcome to Romcom Weekly. Today I'm joined once again by my husband Frank and we are talking about the movie Crazy Rich Asians. Hey Frank. Hey, how's it going? Good. I just wanted to call out that we or I chose to talk about this movie because it is May and we are supporting Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. For those who have seen this movie know that this movie is an all Asian cast. So I'm going to start by diving into some broad strokes of the movie. The release date was in August 2018. It's directed by John M. Chu. It is based on the book written by Kevin Kwan. And it stars Constance Wu, Henry Golding, Michelle Yeoh, Aquafina, and Ken Jeong. The imdb.com summary is, this contemporary romantic comedy based on a global bestseller follows native New Yorker Rachel Chu to Singapore to meet her boyfriend's family. And the imdb.com rating is 6.9. It grossed more than $238 million and is the highest grossing rom-com in more than a decade. So with that, I'm going to kick it to you, Frank. What would you rate this movie on a scale from 1 to 10? 1 to 10? thought we were doing 1 to 5. I'm changing things up. 1 to 10. Wow, it's uh, quite a curveball this this early <laughs> on. Uh, I'd probably give it a 7. Uh, I think there's a couple ways to look at it. Uh, as, a, as a film or a movie, uh, I feel like it's more of a 6. But in terms of how it resonated emotionally for me, I think that was, that was an 8. Okay. I, I like how you are averaging your scores based on a variety of things. I give this movie a 7.1. Point one. Yes. I think I'm... So, I feel a lot of feelings about this movie, which we will obviously dive into. But 7.1, I like this... Let's start with why we like this movie. Um, I'm going to state the obvious. Frank and I are both Asian Americans. And for me personally, it was very awesome and groundbreaking and just, I will say, a revolution to see Asian Americans' faces on the big screen. It was... A great moment for people in our community. This was the first Asian slash Asian American cast since 1993's Joy Luck Club, which is a long time ago. And for that to not have happened until 2018 is is kind of crazy to me. I'm going to go through a few other things, if you don't mind, of what I like about the movie, then you can go. Yeah. Um, Henry Golding. I'll expand on him later. I think it highlights the Asian American experience in a very unique way that is digestible for people who might not immediately identify with our community, uh-huh. if that makes sense. There's this one specific scene that I really liked. Uh, it's when Astrid's husband, Michael, I think is his name, he's in the shower. And... Oh, yeah. And... We, this is like the first time we see like a sexy Asian man who is topless and is like ripped to shreds. And I just was like, whoa, th- that moment was very, not compelling, but it was just like, oh, whoa, you don't really see a lot of Asian dudes in a sexualized way. I'm right, I'm right here. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> but yes, that is one point um, of what I liked about the movie. And the highlighting of all the different types of Asian food in Singapore. I think it really kind of 
gives a lot of love and respect to Asian cuisine that I don't think is shown very often in mainstream media. How about you? Yeah, the food was a highlight for me. The dude walking out of the shower, less of a highlight. Are you sure? I, I, it was a little bit awkward seeing an Asian dude um, in that capacity. I guess I can appreciate your point of view, um, but it, it didn't tickle my fancy in the same way. The, That's probably a good thing. <laughs> I would say that the representation piece didn't didn't um, strike me as much as it did you. Mm-hmm. The whole Asian casting, I understand, like it's a big it's a big part of it. For me, I think the themes actually resonated more as a whole. I'm I'm not sure if I would have reacted the same way if it wasn't, you know, based on like a Asian cultural sort of situation. But I really feel like they're very universal type themes. And uh, this really just stuck to me. Yeah. Um, are there any other points that you liked about the movie? Uh, I don't I don't really think so. No, I, okay. I, it's just that one thing. It's like a, a single thing that they keep hammering home throughout the whole movie. I think they do a very good job about it because it's a complex uh, it's a complex sort of set of feelings and they've been able to represent it in a way that, uh, at least for me, no other movie has. Yeah. There are other things I want to expand on, but we can move that to a different part um, of categories. What didn't you like about the movie? I think the dialogue and the acting were a little, um, clumsy at times. So just just the way that some of the initial scenes, uh, specifically between like Rachel and Nick, they just, I don't know, it felt very forced. A lot of the dialogue just didn't seem to be organic. Do you I, think it was the dialogue or the acting? I, I'm not good enough of like a movie viewer to even know uh, what's good acting and what's like bad dialogue or sure. vice versa. I, I also haven't seen a lot of these actors and actresses in other movies before so I had nothing to baseline against Mm -hmm. it just felt it just felt like um it didn't it didn't feel like a really great film got it yeah so I actually agree with you but for me it wasn't necessarily the writing it was more so the acting that I didn't like I think that a lot of it did feel forced again I'm not I don't watch fresh off the boat I'm not super um I don't know Constance Wu very well, other than, you know, she was on a groundbreaking TV show. But I felt like she was very stiff in the comedic elements of it. I think she brought more weight to the emotional parts of the movie. Mm -hmm. I think she was more effective in those scenes. Henry Golding, I think I'll cut him some slack because this was his first movie. And then Michelle Yeoh, also like, there were some scenes that seemed really rigid, but I think that's kind of the point to the character of Eleanor. You know, she's not warm. She's not a soft woman. She's, you know, she's a very, not cold, but, you know, she's very sure of who she is. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Um, Another thing that I didn't really like about this movie, I don't know if this is qualifies as something I don't like, but I've noticed the more often and more times I watch this movie, the less I like it. It's a rewatchable movie, don't get me wrong, but every time I watch it, 
there's like I lose some magic from the movie. I think so much of the movie you are kind of entranced by the lavishness, the glamour, mm-hmm. the beauty, the elegance of it all. And then so when you watch it you're like, yeah, okay, I get it. I don't for me it w- I don't really I don't really see it the same way. I, I even when I first watched the movie, I thought the lavishness wasn't quite lavish enough. Oh. And Maybe I'm watching uh, too many YouTube videos about like mansions and <laughs> architectural digest, but yeah, you did mention like when Rachel and Paiklin are driving up to the the young mansion, the young family yeah, mansion. It was like to me, it kind of looked like the house in uh, Father of the Bride a little bit. What with all the I- it kind of get gave me that vibe. It didn't feel like they are the richest family in Singapore or something along those lines. Uh... But anyway. That's that's another story. Like for me, every time I've watched it, the si- uh, very similar points in the movie, my my emotions mm. kind of swell up. But the clumsiness that I was mentioning earlier, that's that's there every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There wasn't really any of the the magic for me, even at the first. Yeah, watch. I'll agree with you that I the emotional weight still carries through from yeah. the first time I saw it. From I think this might have been like the fourth or fifth time I've seen the movie, it still carries equal weight. There are a few other things that not necessarily I didn't like, but there was some controversy surrounding this movie. The casting of Henry Golding, who is biracial. He's biracial? He's biracial. His well, last name is Golding. I, I don't know. What what <laughs> kind of last name is Golding? I don't know. I, I think his father is like um, British because he has a British accent. But anyway, yeah, there was a lot of controversy about why the casting decided to go with a biracial uh, man and not a, I don't know what the PC word is, but a 100% Asian mm-hmm. man. But yeah, I can understand that, that, you know, if you're Henry Golding, you're like, what the heck, man? Why am I less than? Why do you think I'm less than? I'm Asian. I identify as Asian. So I think there was a, there's this broader conversation of like, how does Hollywood cast these kinds of roles? So for example, we don't have to get too much into this, but like the movie To All the Boys I've Loved Before, the main character is played by an Asian American woman, but she in the story, she's supposed to be biracial. Oh, really? So yeah, we can talk about that at okay. another time. But that that was also like a conversation. Like the sisters were clearly biracial, but why was Laura Jean not cast as a biracial woman? All right, these are things that I anyway, don't think of at all. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. So really glad I'm learning during this podcast. Yes. Um, the it's not something I didn't like. It's just something that really kind of my ears perked up when this happened was. Aquafina, who plays Pei Lin. Oh, yeah, what kind of... Sorry, go on. I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> yeah, so she does what I think the media has dubbed, quote-unquote, the black scent. So she speaks kind of a little bit more urban, but, yeah, I don't really know how I feel about this. Also, Aquafina, this was my first introduction to her as, you know, an actor, a rapper, a person you Mm -hmm. know so i don't know how she normally speaks and i also read um while doing research on the movie is that she improved most of these scenes so maybe she was just being herself who knows yeah i i mean having read the book Mm -hmm. uh i think it gives me kind of a different 
approach to the characters. So obviously, if you read books, you're going to create your own version of these people. Yes. So whatever you see on the big screen is going to be different. But I, I don't know. I didn't imagine uh, Piglin being like this. Right. And I definitely didn't uh, imagine that Ken Jeong would be this type of father. But if you look at the characters, they're at least internally consistent. Like, I could imagine that Piglin's father is like that. And I do like consistency, um, even though creatively, I, I feel like there were some liberties taken here. Yeah, the whole Ken Jong bit, I don't, it didn't frustrate me. I won't say it, that I had such a strong emotion. It was kind of just like, really, again, with the accent, Ken Jong. Also, yeah. the accents are, are something that I felt a little bit frustrated with. Mm. I don't know if it's... Like me just hearing things differently, but I get, I kind of like so many different types of accents in the movie. Some are like British, some sound Australian. I don't really know what I'm hearing. And Michael's accent, which was very different than the, the, uh, like the affluent British inflection. Yeah. That kind of threw me off. I, I don't know why it's throwing me off, but there was just so much variation there. I had some difficulty just getting acclimated to a particular type of speech. Yeah, but I think that also kind of is the point. It paints the picture of Singapore being a very global city. Uh, I think a lot of expats live there. I think they have a... I, I don't know. This is based off of not nothing. Uh, I'm sorry. Based off nothing <laughs> is that... I think there are a lot of Australian. You know, it's close to Australia. Why wouldn't there be Australians? Oh, uh, the Nick's dad actually he runs his company out out of Australia. Right. Yeah. So maybe that was intentional. For example, I have family that live in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. They live in Singapore, and a lot of them were also educated in Australia. So it's a very melting pot for a part of Asia. I see. Yeah, I guess if you come to New York, there's not like a New York accent. There's a lot of accents that you encounter in your daily life. So, okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, let's dive into themes. This might get a little uh, interesting. Interesting as in a little heavy. There is a very clear theme that runs throughout this movie. Um, filial piety. It's this, the, the proper definition, according to Wikipedia, is a Confucian, Buddhist, and Taoist virtue of respect for one's parents, elders, and ancestors. What do you think of that definition? I've never actually read the definition or heard the definition out loud. That seems in line with what my expectations were. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. So going with that, this movie shows us the struggle that one can have to please one's family. Mm-hmm. Nick, I think, you know, as much of an idiot he is, we can dive in. We're going to, I think, talk about that later. I feel his struggle. I understand his struggle about wanting to carve out his own life with Rachel in New York. But then also on the flip side, he has to think about his family, which is not just any family. They are the richest family in Singapore. And I think he's the oldest son of, you know... Basically, he's supposed to get it. He's all. the favorite. Yeah. He's the favorite oh, yeah, grandson, yeah. so he's supposed to inherit the family business. And I think there's a lot of people who might struggle with, you know, lesser versions of filial piety. It's you know, do I, 
study whatever I want to study in college or do I study what my parents want me to study because I want to please them, mm-hmm. A, or B, maybe they're paying for my education, so I just do what I'm told. So I think as an Asian American, the concept of filial piety was very, um, it struck a chord with me. Yeah, I I have to say this one was very close uh, as a theme. I think it's it kind of overlaps a little bit uh, with one of the other major themes around kind of the was it insider or outsider? Um, mm-hmm. I think it was Eleanor who who mentioned you're not really one of us, mm. and that that notion of like a a, a Western philosophy where. You focus on autonomy and the self, and then there's this Eastern thing where you kind of focus on family. I feel like if you were to draw a Venn diagram, you would have filial piety in one thing, you would have this Eastern and Western dichotomy, and in the middle, you kind of have these um, these immigrant children, and these children have to deal with, you know, one foot in, quote unquote, their old world, and then one foot in the new world while working through the nuances of like the child uh, parent relationship grandparent relationship that sort of thing yeah and i think that specifically as asian american i understand that struggle more than i think usual it's do i fit in do i not fit in acceptance is always something that you're kind of in the back of your mind growing up as someone who doesn't look like white basically. So that's where we've had very different experiences, just personally. Yeah. I never even identified um, as really Asian American before I met you. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this cultural discussion that we're having right now is really part of an evolution of myself over the, like the last 10 years. So a lot of this stuff is very new to me. And I didn't even know like these words for a very long time. What words? Filial piety. Oh, sure. But it's it's always, it's never lost on me that you, that this has been your journey to your identity. Because I feel like you are sometimes the most Asian person I know. There's so much Asian behavior in your upbringing, but you didn't identify that as Asian. You were just like, that's just me. So I don't totally know how to unpack that. Really? That's probably a session for another time. Yeah, but I'm glad that you are looking internally (laughs) and trying to understand what being an Asian American man means. Yeah, I think this whole concept and theme of acceptance, you know, Rachel wanting to be accepted by her, you know, boyfriend's mom is not even like an Asian, Asian American struggle. I think a lot of people who meet their partner's families. Oh, I mean, I don't know, call me crazy, but I want to be liked. You know, Mm -hmm. I want people to like me. I think it would make life a lot easier if I had good relationships with my family. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to disagree with that. It wasn't something that I really valued earlier in my life. Um, It was, you can accept me for who I am or I don't need to have relations with you. It's only, it's only, you know, recently where that thinking is uh, a little bit more natural for me. 
Um, another theme that I wrote down, but I don't have it fully fleshed out, is this idea of psychological warfare. Oh, okay. So Rachel, as we know, she is an economics professor, and I guess one of her classes is game theory. Oh, yeah. I, which, I love that. Yeah, this is kind of uh, a little bit random and bizarre. But so she, I think that was strategically uh, crafted in the story of the movie yeah, yeah. so that, you know, we can talk about it now, right? She She has... She uses her game theory knowledge to win over Nick's mom and even win over, or not win, but beat Amanda. Amanda, the girl, uh, the ex-girlfriend of Nick, who, you know, kind of messes with Rachel in a very terrible kinda. way. It wasn't kind of. It was, you throw a dead fish in someone's bed, that's, that's definitely messing with them. Yeah, so I, I don't know. The whole idea, I've never thought about psychological warfare, but I think it's, I mean, this is a, probably a strong term to be using about Rachel, but I think a lot of times maybe we we recognize what someone else is doing and you just got to like rise above it. Mm. And I think it's really hard to do that in everyday life. Um, I think the movie kind of glosses over it a little bit, I don't know. Do you have any yeah, thoughts I, of that? I did not prepare for this conversational point. <laughs> uh, but one of my favorite lines in the movie is... Bok bok, bitch? That's that's a great one. Oh, okay. But it's it's when um, it's when Rachel goes and attends mm. the wedding of Colin and Araminta. She's, you know, all dolled up. She's in a beautiful dress. And she gets out of the car and starts walking the red carpet. All right. the photographers start looking at her. And Amanda is in her way. And she says, Amanda, you're in my way. Or get out of my way. One of those things. No, she says, you're in my way. You're in my way. Okay. So, and she just like, gets Pushes right through her. her. Yeah. That's a total, that's not, that's a direct reaction to the confrontation that was presented before. Mm -hmm. And it shows that Rachel's able to address conflict in that way. Just like, bulldoze right through it. But, the other part of the game theory and what was the term that you you called it? Psychological, like, psychological warfare. warfare. Like she can't go at Eleanor in that way. Right. And she goes at it in a totally different way, which mm -hmm. is arguably the climax of the movie. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if we're talking about that now or later, but uh, it, it really reflects how Rachel's able to be like a Swiss army knife in some ways and just takes totally different approaches. Yeah. Let's just, that's a great segue. Like we can talk about, um, well, so, my next segment is favorite scene. So I know that you and I have separately discussed this, but for me, I think my favorite scenes are the most emotional scenes of the movie. Uh, the Mahjong scene mm -hmm. and the ending. So yeah, let's dive into the, um, the, the scene that you were talking about. Oh, the Mahjong scene? Yeah. Uh, that, that one, that one gets me, if I watched it five times, 80% of the time. I don't know. It's it's that last uh, like th two sentences that she speaks, Rachel. Mm. It's when she tells Eleanor that at some point when Nick is with someone and marries them, it's because of me. This lowly nobody, whatever, uh, nothing. I wrote it down. A poor, 
maybe I don't have it correctly. <laughs> a poor raised by a single mother, low class immigrant, nobody. Yeah. It's very impactful. You didn't really read it in a very impactful way, no, which really goes <laughs> to Constant Wu's acting chops at this point. Sure. But like, I don't know why that, that hit me so hard. Mm. Like, maybe it was the music, which looking back, I don't actually remember anything about music in that scene. But it just was like, oh, you know, you're, you can't hold it in. And then immediately after that happens, after she like, I don't know, turns her mahjong tiles or whatever, her mom's right there. Yeah. And then you get that like... Double punch. Oh, yeah. Because Rachel's mom just like gives Eleanor this dirty, dirty look. It was a very, very effective scene. So, I mean, I don't know how to play mahjong. I think I learned like 12 years ago how to play once and I have no memory. Are you crying? (laughs) I was just thinking back to, it's not a good scene, but it's like when the mom showed up after. um, Yeah. But like that, that mom scene gets me a hundred percent of the time. Really? So to be clear, the mom scene you're talking about is when Rachel's mom comes from the U.S. to Singapore and visits Rachel at Pei Glenn's house after yeah. they've effectively broken up. She's been, like, comatose or um, in a catatonic state for days, weeks, and then her mom shows up and she just, like, falls into her arms sobbing, and it's just, like, this huge sigh of relief, and I guess, like... Hold it together, man! <laughs> I, I think watching this movie has led me to believe that in some ways... I am a little bit of like a, a mama's boy, mm. whatever that might mean to people. Mm-hmm. But the, that that mother son uh, mother daughter relationship thing is like yeah. Oof. Sorry. So I remember <laughs> the first time I saw this movie. So quick caveat: the first time Frank and I saw this movie, we saw it together in the theater. We were watching it to push like the gold open, which basically you know you kind of fill the house uh, when a movie releases. And the theater was packed with other Asian American people. So there was an energy in the room. I think it was a lot of emotions, a lot, like there were, there was cheering. There was like, you could literally hear people like sniffing. Oh yeah. But for me, I think that scene, the first time I saw it, when Rachel's mom comes to Singapore, it did nothing for me. Really? It's very strange. It's cold hearted. Yeah. And usually those scenes get me too. I'm very, anything that's involved with a mom, daughter, like dad, daughter, dad, you know, parent and child, it usually gets me, but I don't know. But back to the Mahjong scene. Yeah, yeah. Sorry for the detour. That scene, it affirms what I said earlier about Constance Wu, about her having weight during um, pivotal dramatic scenes. I think she carries it well. Um, She's very effective. And I think, I don't know. That scene gets me, but then we go to the ending scene. That scene gets me 100% of the time. The ring? Yeah, which is like the most cliche part of the movie. But, you know, I can't help myself. I cry every time. That ring is so symbolic of not only Nick's love, but Eleanor's blessing and acceptance. You took the words right out of my mouth. Like, mm. I think that's, that was a moment of catharsis that is, it's, it's basically like the mom scene with, um, 
Rachel falling into her mom's arms. In this case, it's basically the relinquishing of the fact that Eleanor is, or sorry, Nick is Eleanor's son first and foremost. And now she's like, this is okay. And it's just like these walls have been broken down. It's, I don't know. I Maybe I struggle with acceptance in a subconscious level. And this was like a, like a, Acceptance from who? I don't. I don't know. Oh. I, I don't. <laughs> these these movies. I feel like they're forcing me to reevaluate myself a little bit. And this was a scene where, because it's so reliably uh, a waterworks scene for me, mm-hmm. I'm. Yeah, maybe I need to to look inward more. Mm. That's what I mean. See, like rom-coms, they still can pack a punch, man. They still, they make you like look inwards. What does this mean to me? Yeah, but this is not most rom-coms. This this is very unique. That's why I gave it an eight in terms of the emotional scale. Because it's so rare that it it really gets at me. Yeah. Interesting. I feel like I want to unpack this more, but we can do that at another time. Oh, so I don't know if it's the same scene, Mm -hmm. but this is also like a a follow-on where they get back to the party. So they get off the plane, mm. which would be a TSA violation. Yeah, un- that would not happen. Mm-hmm. And they end, back, they end back up in Singapore. They th- everybody's there. They're throwing a party. And there's this one look where Rachel glimpses Eleanor through the crowd. Mm-hmm. And it was like a knowing nod. Mm-hmm. It's like it was this sign of respect or this mutual understanding and it was not as powerful as the ring thing. Mm-hmm. But watching this the last time, it was, I teared up at that point too. Because mm. I feel like you're not, you're, not, you're not in the shadow of something that you have to fight continually. Knowing that you have this uh, person who doesn't love you as part of your, your husband's like, relationship. Interesting. So I immediately thought of like, let's, let's play this out for a second. Let's say that Rachel and Nick get married. Uh-huh. They live happily ever after. What does Eleanor and Rachel's relationship look like 10 years into marriage? Assuming that they're still married 10 years in. Like, what does that relationship look like? Does Rachel still feel like she has to validate herself to her mother-in-law? Or is it just like, it is what it is. You know, Rachel is a hardworking, very Americanized professor of economics at NYU. I think definitely going to be conflict, but it's just different type. It's going to be different type of conflict. Yeah. It's not because she's not good enough or she's no. I don't know. I don't think it's that easy to dismiss that. I think at the heart of it, Nick's mom is probably still going to always wonder, is this the right person for my son? Or not. I don't know. But I don't think that such doubts go away so easily. Like Eleanor still, she mentioned to Rachel, like, you know, I had to prove my worth to my mother-in-law too. And she still hadn't really. Yeah. So that might actually be the more difficult thing is if Rachel becomes a problem for the family, in quotes, will the grandmother blame Eleanor and Eleanor's forced to do something, even though she has in some ways accepted and brought Rachel into the family. Yeah, I want to talk about the grandma for a second. Oh, okay. Because the grandma storyline I identify with 
a lot, actually. Um, grandma, which they call Ama, actually, is Taiwanese for grandma. So that was kind of heartwarming to hear that in a movie. Um, we automatic, automatically know that grandma is the matriarch of the family. Mm -hmm. Everything has to go through grandma. Decisions, and like, I don't think it's explicitly said, but romantic and life partners, those decisions also have to be uh, accepted and okayed by grandma without diving into my own, like, personal life. <laughs> or maybe let's just dive in. I don't know. My grandma, it feels that my grandma is that person in my family too. And I Not as strong as Ama in the movie, but... <sighs> and to be very clear, like the grandma in the movie isn't antagonistic. She's not, no, she's no. not a villain. Yes, you're right. It's, it's a very like natural position of authority in that Eastern culture yes. with all the filial piety, all that other stuff. And they're just instinctually doing what they feel is good for the family. So everything that you see happening in, um, in the movie and what's described in the book, like it's not out of spite. Right. It's it's out of uh, I don't know about affection. Affection's a little bit of a stretch. No, but it's like, no affection. It's like a, a mother hen. Mm -hmm. It's like protecting uh, everything that they've worked so hard for and trying to do what's best, and that's what they know. Mm -hmm. It's just the way that they do it. Right. Is with values that are so foreign to um, a lot of us in in the Western culture. So we look at it and we think, oh my god. They're evil. They don't respect... Um, Your individuality. Yes. Oh, yes, that. And I don't... I, I feel like this movie did a good job of not antagonizing Grandma. Yes. Uh, and Eleanor was kind of the icy type of person who was just... You always felt like she had something up her sleeve. Mm -hmm. But, like, what I'm hoping people get from this, um, whether it's from the movie or us talking about it, is, like, they're just trying to do what they think is good for the family. Right. And that's one of the things that I liked about the movie. There's there's really no really evil person. Aside from Amanda and her posse. Amanda yeah. and maybe maybe Eddie with his optimal angles. And, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's, it's really... Everyone's trying to do what's best. And it's just two cultures clashing in a very lavish setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. Thank you for, like, mentioning that grandma is not doing anything that is meant to be hurtful. Grandma is doing what she thinks is, is best. The things that, you know, on a lighthearted note, identify with grandma is that the first conversation she has with Nick in the movie is at the Tanhua party. And grandma, the first question she asks Nick is, have you eaten yet? And it's like... <laughs> Yeah, my grandma does exactly the same thing. She used to call me. There was a time difference and call me and then I would answer the phone. And the first thing she would ask is, have you eaten? No matter what time of day it was, that was always the first question. So that was a little on the nose for me. And then that scene where grandma meets Rachel and is like, ooh, let me look at your face. You have a nice nose, you know, like, I don't know. I think I have it in my mind that all Asian grandmas are as critical and as blunt. Yeah, probably but right. also just more critical to their daughter-in-laws, which is why I said earlier that I think Eleanor would continue to be hard on Rachel in the future. I think mothers and daughters-in-law are, it's a tough relationship 
especially I think in the case of Eleanor and Rachel, grandma outwardly chastises Eleanor, who is, it's a mother and daughter-in-law relationship. Mm. You know, it's like, she's teasing her like, oh, your dumplings are ugly. You never learned how to fold them well. Or like, you know, at that pivotal scene at the, at the wedding where, you know, they admit they had a PI look into Rachel's background. Grandma immediately blames Eleanor. This is your fault. This is your fault. You never, you know, you didn't bring him home soon enough. Okay, so I'm going to segue not so easily into a different segment. I'm going to call WTF moments. Uh-huh. So these are just like things that when we watch a movie, you're like, this would never happen. So um, one of the small but notable scenes was when Rachel and Nick are in Raffles Hotel in Singapore. They are woken by the hotel alarm clock. Who uses hotel alarm clocks uh, is my big question. Wouldn't you use your like your phone? I don't no, even yeah. know. Do <laughs> hotels keep analog clocks? I guess they do. Not analog, you know, digital This is clocks. almost as like dated of a reference as like getting a wake-up call from the front desk. Yes. You know what this sounds like? Mm-hmm. This, this sounds like a bit at a Jerry Seinfeld stand-up. <laughs> Who uses... Okay. So that's one. Do you have any? I have a few, but I kind of uh, wanted you, you to keep ping. going. Oh, okay. The uh, the scene when Paiklin and Rachel are driving up to the young family home, um, and they can't find the home on GPS. I didn't know that you could just eliminate things from GPS. Maybe it's a government. Like, can you? I I think that just goes to show how much money they have. Like the government can definitely do that. They can say this is a classified site, and then you end up with like a bunch of gray boxes on the maps. Mm. But I think this is one area where the deviation from the book, uh, they they took a lot more time in describing the mystique around the young family, where yeah. I don't even think that Pickland's family knows who the young family are because they are so private mm. that they've spent all this effort to scrub their identities from from the public um, the public's eyes. Yeah, that's actually more uh, explicitly spoken about in the book. Right. They don't really touch... I forgot about that. They don't really touch on that in the movie. So, like, the GPS thing is, like, an extension of that. Like, apparently, there's this plot of land in Singapore that no one even... It's just... To no existence. Yeah, basically. So, like, I, I believe the GPS thing. Mm. Um, okay, fine. Um, Nick gets wine on his shirt goes up to his old room, and his mom helps to dress him. I was a little uncomfortable watching that. How yeah. would you feel if your mom... No, <laughs> I, I said I was a mama's boy earlier. That's a, that's a hard no. Yeah. Uh, how much does Colin's bachelor party cost? You know, they, they rent a... Uh, what's it called? A tanker? Yeah, like a cargo... Cargo ship? Yeah. And there's like, who are all these people on the party? There's women in sashes. I guess that means that they were like Miss Universe or whatever. Yeah, I think logistically, when did they load? Like, how did they get the people there? And how did they get them there? Where did they sleep? Like, how are they you, all on drugs? Yeah, it just, I get it. You know, it's meant to be like ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah, that's a little wild. Uh, why does Nick carry around his engagement ring? 
to Colin's bachelor party. That just seems irresponsible. Um, I think that's the big ones that come to mind for me. Do you have any other WTF moments? No, I think you've hit them. I actually, to nitpick, mm-hmm. I feel like the the wedding didn't feel like a $40 million wedding. So this is this is Araminta and, and Colin's, Colin's wedding. wedding. And I was like, $40 million? I don't know. Okay, fine. I add one more thing, WTF. Water? On the wedding aisle? I thought that was really cool. I don't think they executed it that well. It was a little bizarre. But she's supposed to... It's supposed to feel like she's walking on water. And the movie doesn't do it quite as as much justice as like the visualization in your head, if you think about it. Uh-huh. I don't know. There's just a lot of things that, imagination-wise you can go so much more ham with. Mm. But in the movie, you're like, production costs, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Moving on to cliche rom-com moments. Anything call out to you? (laughs) Yeah. Go ahead. Kick it off. The obliviousness of the male protagonist. Mm. In other rom-coms, it might be like, he doesn't realize that somebody likes him. Or... Whatever it is. In this case, it's Nick's obliviousness to his responsibilities as who he is in this family. And it's his ridiculous treatment of not informing Rachel. (laughs) You were getting amped up. Yeah. He sent her on a bachelorette party with his crazy ass ex on a secluded island. And he didn't even tell her, watch out for her. Yeah, Nick's an idiot. Really? So that's, that's that's my problem with. My devil's advocate for uh, for Nick is that is he just a hopeless romantic? No, he's a dumbass. Does he? I agree with you. He's a dumbass. But on the flip side, is he just trying to live this fantasy life where he wants his cake and eat it too? Mm. I want to be able to choose who I marry, but also have my family be totally okay with it, while fully realizing that that is most likely not going to happen. When you put it that way, it's a much more PC way of framing it. Mm-hmm. But I, I have to imagine that, like, throughout the movie, he's told by all of his trusted friends, like, or friends and, and cousin, that, oh, are you going to prepare Rachel for such and such? Oh, are you, how are you going to manage this thing between your grandma? Like, Colin says it when they're, they're talking in wherever they are. Uh, his cousin, um, Astrid. Yeah. Astrid also mentions it at some point when he's, she's talking to Nick. Yeah. And it's like everyone around him is mentioning this. So the fact that he doesn't listen to any of them. You're right. He's just an idiot. Thank you. Thank you. But okay. Let me, let me plow through these other cliche rom-com moments and then we can talk about more about Henry Golding. There's your typical makeover scene. Where Rachel is being dressed by Paiklin and Cousin Oliver. That was a very, you know, indulgent moment. And then, of course, there had to be a scene where Nick runs onto the plane. We don't get, like, a classic airport chase scene, but we get an airplane chase scene where, you know, it's... That's why I tease myself. It's the most cliche part of the movie, but for me, it's the most effective. I didn't even think of that as a cliche thing because I... Oh, for sure it's cliche. It's like the chase. Guess. 
I mean, yeah, this, this is not a close, close watching by me. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about Nick. So in, in, the, in, the, in the vein of are these characters likable, right? So we said Nick is kind of dumb. Uh-huh. But I want to talk for a second about Henry Golding himself. So this is first feature film debut. He was previously a talk show host, like a travel host that was plucked out of like random obscurity to be in this movie. So go Henry Golding, won the lottery. So I'm kind of rooting for him as an actor. I don't know where it's going to go. I think after this movie came out, he did uh, A Simple Favor with Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively, which was a bizarre movie in my opinion. Last Christmas, a rom-com with Amelia Clark, and then he did The Gentleman, a Guy Ritchie movie. Oh yeah, that was a good movie. So he's kind of, I don't know if you would say all over the place, but I like that he's doing different things. I like that he is, for lack of a better word, he has become maybe a face for Asian American actors, male specifically. Yeah. There's not a lot out there. And so I think that it's a great step forward. I don't know if I love his acting necessarily, but I like the idea that there is someone who gets people excited to go see movies. He's not banking on his necessarily Asian-ness mm. to carve out his career. I didn't think about any of this, but okay. I agree well, these with are, you. These yeah. are my thoughts on Henry Golding. So I just, I'm rooting for him. I hope he does well. So since we talk so much about Nick, let's talk about Rachel. Uh, my thoughts are that I like that she asserts herself uh, with Nick's family. Mm-hmm. She doesn't, you know, take it laying down. She goes head to head with Eleanor. And I don't think we see that a lot, uh, I guess, specifically for Asian American women roles. I don't see a lot of Asian American roles. Yeah, there's that too. Right. So I think my point is that with the minimal amount of opportunities that are given to Asian American women to be in movies, this is a great a great way to showcase the strength of some Asian American women. It didn't feel particularly forced. Like the way that the scene was set, the way that it, it kind of shifted um, from the proposal, right? I think it was Nick proposes to Rachel and then it's just, she, it just cuts mm-hmm. to the, the Mahjong scene. It This, like, stands for herself sort of situation, maybe it's a little, like, too much of a setup, you know, one-on-one sort of thing. But for me, it felt like a really organic situation where she wasn't even directly trying to, like, butt heads. And it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier on. It's It goes to show how she's able to manage conflict in kind of different ways. Um, who is your favorite character? Piglin's brother. I think he just, he just adds a whole lot of levity. Uh, and he's, he's like a, a genuine sort of person where, yeah, he's super awkward and maybe, maybe identify with super awkward people, (laughs) but he's not harmful. He's just awkward. And I I like that. He's just, he's just there. He's not annoying. Uh, he wasn't even a blimp on my radar. Blimp? Blimp? Blimp, blimp on my radar. Um, I'm going to go with a controversial pick. Uh-huh. I'm going with Cousin Eddie. Really? Yeah, so for a few reasons. He's not... He's an offensive character, don't get me wrong. 
Yes, he is. What's the actor's name? Um, Ronnie John, Chang. Yeah. Ronnie Chang, right? From The Daily Show. So, optimal angles thing always gets me. It always cracks me up. But he also says, you, you mentioned it earlier, there's a pivotal, I don't know if it's pivotal, it's pivotal for me about Eddie, is that he asks Nick, like, what does Rachel bring to the table? Oh, on the boat. On the boat, on during Colin's bachelor party. You know, he kind of succinctly paints this picture of like, yeah, if you marry someone, they, like, the family has to... It's a benefit. Yeah, it has to benefit the family. You know, what does so-and-so bring to the table? I married a millionaire, and my parents still gave me shit about it not being, quote-unquote, good enough or whatever. Mm. So I thought that was also an interesting thing for Nick to be like, oh, yeah, maybe Rachel, what does she bring to the table? Other than obvious, my obvious love for her. Right, right. But how does Rachel fit in with my family if this is going to be forever? So that's why I chose Cousin Eddie. Do Rachel and Nick stay together? I'm going to say 50-50. Mm. I, I don't doubt their love for each other. And Rachel has shown the extent that she's willing to fight. And Nick has shown the extent that he's willing to sacrifice. I think it's really about how Rachel will adapt to that type of yeah. scrutiny. Because right now, like, she's a, a professor at NYU or something like mm. that. Can she deal with um, the paparazzi? Like, I don't know if this is an equivalent situation, but Meghan Markle and who's the prince? Harry. Harry. They decided to leave the the royal family. Yeah. It was too much for them. <laughs> okay. So I feel like... If you are Singaporean royalty and you don't know what you're getting yourself into, uh-huh. there's a real chance that whatever it is that you got yourself into is going to be overwhelming. And that's that's a good 50% chance that you don't want none of that. Interesting. I, sure, they stay together. I don't know. I don't really think that deep about it. I think they stay together. I think the big conflict, the biggest conflict that they will have has been, is mom. So I think that that's out of the way. Anything in between, I think they can figure out. Okay. That's my take. All right, so let's talk music of the movie. Do you have any thoughts? I liked a lot of the Mandarin songs that were sung in like the slower ballads. The fast music, I didn't love it. I would have preferred... American pop in those montage sequences. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I have a soft spot for... man. I don't even understand Mandarin, but I like them. So I actually think differently. I liked that there was Mandarin songs, and I specifically liked that there were Mandarin covers of pop songs, uh-huh. like Madonna's Material Girl and Coldplay's Yellow. Um, I thought that was different and risky, and it made me appreciate it that much more. That's fair. And then, obviously, I know we both really liked Keena Granis's performance at the wedding. Can't yeah. Help Falling in Love is the name of the song. The last time I watched it, I, I recognized that there were lyrics. Something along the lines of, take my whole self or... Life, too. Take my whole life, too. Yeah. It's a really hard set of <laughs> lyrics. But it was... I usually don't listen to lyrics of songs. And in this time, I heard it, and I was like, oh, it's so metaphorical. It's all of the 
the stuff with Nick's family and how he's got all this baggage with his mom and his, you know, empire and stuff. Rachel has to accept that. And then I think Nick's already accepted everything from like Rachel's perspective of her mom. And she, he loves every part of that, but it's like those things got to reconcile if you're going to make this, this marriage work. Yeah. It, it, it struck a chord. Um, I guess lyrics are important. Yeah. It was for me, very effective and very emotional. The, the way she's saying it, I don't really know Kina Grannis as an artist, but I think her take on that song was perfect. Um, Frank, would you rather be old money or new money? I would take either money. <laughs> Fair. But I, I think old money. Old money opens, it opens more doors. I think there's like relationships and stuff that are difficult to come by except through, through time. And if all, all else is equal, like I'll take the old, the old money. Yeah. I think old money just brings more gravitas. Mm. It brings you more commanding respect. Yeah. But if, if you were to tell me like you would have two times the money as new money, I would take the two times new money than, you know. What do you mean two times? Like if it wasn't apples to apples. Oh, okay. I would, I would take more money. There's there's a tri- there's like an inflection point mm-hmm. where you could compensate me to lose that gravitas <laughs> for more money. Interesting. Okay, I did not account for another hypothetical of this, but okay, let's just keep it at old money. Yeah. Or bottom line, money. money. Yeah. Money. Great. Um, so this movie came out two years ago, so it's not old. But, you know, has this movie aged well? Are there any things that, you know, in 2020 don't, you know, vibe so well? I don't think so, really. Personally, I don't think a lot of things have changed a whole lot in the last two years. Mm -hmm. What was inappropriate in 2018, and there are a lot of things that were inappropriate in 2018, still largely inappropriate today and vice versa. Yeah. So, no, I think it... Has aged the exact same amount. Yeah. I think I agree with you. Um, I was actually trying to be like super nitpicky about this. There's one specific scene that I think would probably be edited out today. It's the scene where Rachel meets Piglin's family and Ken Jong makes a comment on Rachel's nice ass uh-huh. or something like that. It's very small, you know, blink, not really, blink and you'll miss it kind of thing, but... That's honestly the only thing that kind of stood out to me. What do you think is different between now and 2018 with regard to that scene? I just don't think men should be able to comment on women's bodies. And it's also awkward that it's his daughter's really good friend's body. Yeah, which which is like, it wasn't appropriate in 2018 either. It's It wasn't, but I think, you know, we're, hope I don't know, we're all a little bit more aware mm. what should or should not be said or done. But as a whole, if that's the only nitpick I have or I caught, then I think, you know, we're good. This is, I think this has aged well. Um, and then this might be an obvious one, but book or movie? Book. Yeah. 100% book. I, also, I didn't cry in the book at all. Yeah, same. It was, just, it was just purely entertaining for me to get immersed in that world where the cultural points were just so... Like they, they, they reminded me of like my own family, mm. um, without the money, but 
Oh, wait, we, we talked about this when we read the book that, you know, obviously these, the young family is crazy rich, but at the end of the day, they still would rather eat instant noodles in their hotel room. I think that was, you know, obviously Frank and I are not crazy rich, but we identified with, oh, at the end of the day, you still just want something yummy and comforting and Actually, easy. it's about time to boil up some instant noodles. <laughs> we can do that. Um, any last thoughts before we wrap this up? Not, not really. Even even though the acting and the script and all and like the dialogue, not the the best. I I'm still looking forward to the sequel. I read the second and third book. Mm-hmm. I want to watch these movies. I'm going to watch the the rest of this trilogy when yeah. they make it. Yeah. I just want to share with the world that Frank really loved these books. He would read them and he would say, "Oh my gosh, these are so trashy!" and just dive deliciously into the next book. trashy. And we went on vacation, and the third book was only being sold in hardcover. Oddly big. It's huge. It's It's huge. But it's also heavy. And I think we were traveling internationally, and you still loved this thing. Yeah. When we were flying, I think weight on uh, (laughs) airlines was was like an issue. Yeah. I was carrying this like one and a half pound book. Yeah. So the commitment was real. Yeah. Yeah, I think my closing thoughts are, I think Rachel deserves more credit, actually. She, not only does she stand up to Eleanor, which I mentioned before, but she also fights for her man. You know, like, she genuinely wants Nick to be happy. And the quote-unquote sacrifice that she makes, you know, by declining the marriage proposal and telling Eleanor, this is why, that was very... um, I don't know. You, I don't see that very often. Well, I, I don't think it was her sacrifice. I think the whole thing is that she's. this was her psychological warfare. This was her game theory. Well, do you think she actually thought that Nick would fight for her again? I think that... Ooh, in, that's actually... Yeah. I'm not sure. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Maybe we need to rewatch it again. Maybe we, we, yeah, maybe we need to unpack this more. I'm going to boil some instant noodles. We're going to fire it up again. All right, sounds good. On that note, thank you for tuning in to Rom-Com Weekly and hope you'll stick around for more. Bye.